We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Thursday, and we're going to do something a little different here today. It's just going to be me this afternoon. My uh, my normal co-host, Ryan Roberts, is a little under the weather, and so that's why we canceled yesterday's show. But I didn't want to cancel today's show. I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk today. And so uh, we're going to talk, instead of kind of doing a position breakdown, we're going to wait till Ryan gets, gets back next week to have those conversations. But I wanted to talk about the transfer portal and Notre Dame's in the transfer portal because I did an article yesterday at Irish Breakdown on it's called Midweek Musings, which we I do most Wednesdays. And during the offseason, it's going to eventually turn into every Wednesday. And I just kind of take some different topics and say, hey, look, this is what this is what we're doing. This is what we're talking about and, and just some different things. And I talk about Notre Dame. I talk about um, recruiting. I'll talk about college football and, and just do some. And that's kind of where the RTCF show got its its idea was from, you know, from the midweek musings aspect. So I wanted to kind of look at the transfer portal. And so I wanted to kind of get into the Notre Dame aspect of it. If you guys want to ask me some questions about, you know, other teams in the portal, we can get into that in the mailbag, which we will have at the end, because Ryan's actually with us today. He is uh, doing some producing today. So he's going to be starring questions and bringing those up at the end, but he's just not uh, camera worthy today. So as he as he gets as he gets better and feels better, so hopefully he'll be back tomorrow for our Friday mailbag. But I think it's kind of interesting. The transfer portal in Notre Dame is a very intriguing topic, and we get a lot of discussion on the message board and and here as well about the transfer portal and and sort of Notre Dame's issues in the portal. And what we've kind of come to find out is that in the current form of the transfer portal, Notre Dame is in a situation where it can really go after two types of players with relative ease. And that is graduates, which is primarily what they've gone gotten so far. And then with undergrads, they can kind of go after young guys. So they can go after basically freshmen or guys that are really on their, their second, maybe, maybe can get away with a third semester guy. And the reason for that is, is because the way that it works in Notre Dame from an admission standpoint, it's not the admissions department that sets the guidelines for transfers completely. They'll set guidelines on GPA and certain academic standards from high school and different aspects that they got to get into. 
But what happens is, is that each, each class or each dean of each department, from what I'm told, makes a decision on what credits will transfer in as part of a certain major. So if a guy is a junior in college and he's taking a degree in sociology, he's getting a degree in sociology at Texas A&M or USC or Oklahoma or even Harvard, then he it's not guaranteed that all his credits that he's taken on classes there will be transfer over to Notre Dame. And so what happens is, is Notre Dame is not going to take a a class on a, or not going to take a player who's not on pace to graduate. And so if the, if the department doesn't accept a lot of the credits that go towards the degree, then that puts a player way behind and he wouldn't be on pace to graduate in whatever time frame that they, they deem. And so they'll just reject the guy or, or it makes it tougher to bring the guy in and it, it's a, it's a challenge. And so that's really what Notre Dame is working with. And that's why the graduate transfers and the the younger players are 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 easier to get in because with a younger player, for example, let's say a freshman, odds are he may have taken a couple, you know, classes as a freshman towards his major, but not every young player is determined what his major is going to be. Not every young player has dove into a lot of his major classes because there's a lot of the electives that have to get taken. And so when you get the younger players kind of in the class or kind of in the portal, then you have a lot better opportunity to get in them because it's perfectly fine taking the, 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 the gen ed requirements or the elective requirements that, that players need to have. So that's kind of why those are the two type of players in Notre Dame can go after. And we saw that in the portal this year. And so Notre Dame is in a bit of a different situation than a lot of other schools. It is a situation that in my opinion, Notre Dame needs to change. They need to, to work with the football program more and the other sports programs more in order to say, Hey, look, we're going to work with you to make sure that we're bringing in, you know, kids that can be, that can compete here and have success here and those type of things, how that's going to work. I, I don't have answers for that. When will it change? I don't know the answer to that. Will it ever change? I don't have the answer to that either, but that's where we are right now. And so that's a, that's a conversation we could have a whole show on, but that's kind of where Notre Dame is. And that's why Notre Dame had to focus on the guys that it did focus on going into the portal. So it, it, it needs to be established that that's where Notre Dame was looking at as, as they kind of went into this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So let's talk about where Notre Dame was from a needs standpoint going into the portal. I, I think that when I look at the portal needs, I mean, look, there's always the need for like impact players. So you may say, hey, look, we don't need a tight end. But if a stud tight end gets on the board, then you look at him. And there were a couple tight ends in their name looked at in the portal process this year, even though it wasn't a position that was a, a quote unquote need. You know, their they're linebacker is not necessarily a need. It's more about developing what you have and, and you've got plenty of depth there. But it doesn't mean that, OK, if there's a guy that comes along that we like, we won't look at him. Corner's not a need. But if a really impact player came along, they would look at him. I didn't hear any corners being mentioned uh, with Notre Dame other than some some nickel guys and some slot guys. So you go into what the needs were, and the first one was obvious. was quarterback, and I think that's debatable with some people. I, I do. I think there's a lot of people that view Tyler Buckner as a very talented player who has a very bright future, who could accomplish a lot of things in Notre Dame, and, and I don't disagree with that. And and there's been a lot of people who have said, hey, look, you know, build for for next year. You know, play Tyler – uh, deal deal with the the inexperience, lack of development. Let him develop develop you now, or let him develop now, and then you kind of make your run in twenty twenty four. There's a couple reasons why I don't think this was a smart. That's a smart strategy, and why I do think that landing a quarterback in this class is very important, including a guy at the very top that can be a really impact player. And so when I when I look at the quarterback situation, I'm extremely high on Tyler Buckner as a player. Everybody knows that. That's not hidden here. I think he's an excellent talent with a tremendous upside and a lot of potential. The problem is, is that, number one, Tyler just hasn't played a lot of football. And he has not developed the way that you would hope from an experience standpoint up to this point in time because of that lack of experience that came from missing all but, I think, a half of his sophomore season of high school missing his entire senior season for two different reasons. Sophomore year was an injury, knee injury, and then as a senior it was COVID because California canceled the fall football season. And instead of staying in the spring and staying a very, and playing a shortened senior season at Helix in San Diego, which is where he was going to transfer to as a senior, Tyler, I think, wisely decided to enroll at Notre Dame, which is in this instance was a, a good idea. I, di- I didn't like the idea of him playing a spring season at high school, I thought it'd be better for him to get to Notre Dame because of the lack of depth that Notre Dame had a quarterback and proven depth that Notre Dame had a quarterback. So he comes in to Notre Dame this past as a freshman, and he, he plays in a, in a niche role, did some very good things in that niche role, came off the bench against Virginia Tech in the first half, showed off his immense talent, made some great throws, made plays with his legs. But in the second half, you saw the lack of experience uh, you know, from, from that situation where Virginia Tech was able to make some adjustments and he just didn't have the game reps, the game experience to really adjust to it and didn't, didn't play well in the second half. Jack Cohn comes off the bench bench after Tyler gets hurt, sprains his ankle, and Jack Cohn rallies him to victory. It was the second injury he had sustained that year that cost him time. And, of course, the first was a hamstring injury that he suffered against Purdue, which cost him uh, the opportunity to play in the Wisconsin game. And that's kind of where, where you went going into the season is, is he, he easily won the starting quarterback job outplayed Tyler Drew Pine all spring, according to every single source that I have, including the guys that I had that were there on my team. Outplayed him very quickly in the in the fall, and that decision was made very quickly. It was never real, a, really a competition who was going to be the starting quarterback. There was a big, big gap between Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. 
So he gets a starting job, plays okay against Ohio State. You know, good team on the road, doesn't play great, but plays okay. And then plays very poorly against Marshall and then gets hurt and misses the whole year. The expectation was that he was going to miss the entire year, comes back to the ball game, makes some mistakes that come from lack of development, not lack of playing time, you know, throws three interceptions. But he also did a lot of really, really good things in that game and showed that, hey, this kid's pretty good and can be pretty good. But here's the issue that Notre Dame has. It's twofold. Number one is Notre Dame, you can't assume that he's going to be healthy next year. At this point in time with Tyler Buckner, you can never assume he's going to be healthy for a full season. If Tyler Buckner is your starting quarterback, whether it's this year, whether it's 2024, whether it's 2025, whether it's all three of those years, who knows? The reality is, is you have to go into each of those seasons with an option of, okay, if Tyler goes down, here's what we're doing and we'll be okay. And, And so the combination of that injury history plus his lack of development combined with one other very important ingredient, which is why quarterback was a need for Notre Dame in this class. And that is whether you agree or disagree, this Notre Dame coaching staff flat out believes that it has a chance to compete for a championship in 2023. I know Marcus Freeman believes that. I know that Tommy Reese believes that. I know that Harry Heastan believes that. I know that Jared Parker believes that. I know that Mike Mickens believes there's a lot of coaches on the staff that believe that. There's others that I don't know that they believe that because I don't really know them or know anyone associated with them. My read, however, is that this staff as a whole is very confident on what this football team can be in 2023. And they look at the schedule. They've got three big-time games. We broke all this down. The schedule sets up nicely where if they're 11-1 and or better, they're in the playoff. Uh, They're going to be battle-tested. They could potentially knock a team that could contend for title out of the playoff by beating them in the regular season. So there's that. And so, and they also feel like with what they have coming back and then what other teams lose, Georgia's going to have heavy losses again for the second straight offseason. Alabama's going to have some big losses, not heavy losses from a number standpoint, but very important losses from their team in 2023. So they're, they're going to be down. They're replacing both coordinators, although I would argue that's a positive. So they're just in a situation now. Ohio State loses their quarterback. They lose some, again, not a lot of players, but some very important players. So I think this coaching staff believes that this team and the way that college football set up that this team can make a run. And if you believe that, and and, and you can't deny the first part, which is that Tyler Buckner has not proven he can stay healthy, it it, it makes it simple. You, You have to have a quarterback that can come in and play right now, that can can battle Tyler, maybe beat Tyler out, and be your starting quarterback. It's not a given that Sam Hartman is going to beat Tyler Buckner out, but you needed that kind of player. I think that he will, but that's that's the reality of it. So I think quarterback was a very important need, and you needed to get a difference maker. I think wide receiver was a need. Of course, if you can get an elite player, great, but you needed depth for sure and experience. They got that in Caleb Smith. I think the D-line, in my opinion, needed two players. I think they needed an edge player, and I think they needed an interior player. I think the edge player, I I preferred a big end over a Viper. I just think I like the Viper position right now. I think they needed a player that could play nickel, and I think they needed a safety. So those are the needs coming in, and that is going to kind of factor into what my grade is. And so when I I evaluate the, the, the transfer class, begins with, number one, did you address your needs? That's going to impact the class. Did you land impact players at the impact positions? 
did you meet the other needs that you had experience, you know, length, someone that can be versatile, a, a couple different things there that they were looking for. And then there's obviously the, the talent of the class, uh, the talent of the players that you landed. And so two other needs that Notre Dame had is place kicker and punter. And I know that might be not important to some people, but I think when you watch the postseason this year in the NFL and college football, place kicking was pretty important in, in the postseason this year. So I think it was very much a an important part of what this staff was was looking for and needed in this portal class as well. So let's move on to my grade, and then I'll explain why I came to where I came to. So the grade I gave, I was back and forth between a B plus and an A minus. I went with A minus because of the quarterback to be completely honest with you, the quarterback, the experience of what they landed. I think there's a floor of what they landed of the players can play at this floor. I think it's a very important floor. If you look at the players, they landed. So Notre Dame landed Sam Hartman, a quarterback, and we'll get to end each one. They landed with Sam Hartman, a quarterback. They landed Caleb Smith at wide receiver. They landed Javante John Baptiste at defensive end. They landed Thomas Harper on the, um, landed Thomas Harper on at nickel. And then of course landed Spencer Schrader at the place kicker and Ben Krim at punter. So when I, when I go through this, this group, I, I look at first and foremost, it's the quarterback position. And the reality is, is Notre Dame needed a veteran player that could come in and run this offense at a high level. And there's never a guarantee unless a guy kind of play like, there was a level of guarantee you knew what to expect from Caleb Williams when he went from Oklahoma to USC. Why? Because, A, he had players from Oklahoma coming with him, but more importantly, he he followed the coach there. So you had seen him in that system with every other kid that was in the portal, whether it was Sam Hartman, whether it was Devin Leary, Brandon Armstrong, Spencer Sanders, and we can go down the list of the various quarterbacks on the board. They're all going to a system that they haven't run before. There may be some similarities and some turn, some some you know crossover things like that, but they're all learning a new offense. So there's no guarantees. But when you look at Sam Hartman, and I'm actually been breaking down a lot of Sam Hartman film uh, last couple of days, going through some of the all 22 videos I have, trying to put together sort of a cut up that I'm going to do, like sort of a film breakdown that I'm going to do for uh, the message board. And you you see it. You're like you see the traits. You see the attributes. You see a guy that's that's intelligent. You see a guy. Um, that that has experience. You see a guy uh, that can do some of the simple things well. A guy that can attack down the field that will be will, will has you know, made throws against Power Five teams that we just haven't seen Notre Dame quarterbacks attempt in recent years. It's been a while since Notre Dame had a guy that can make some of those throws. You also see a guy that's got some parts of his game that have to continue to get improved upon, and that's partly why he's coming to Notre Dame is because he thinks Notre Dame can help him improve in those areas. But you see a guy that has thrown for 110 passes and 12,960, I think 67, something like that, yards in his career. And so there's a floor there, right? And and with Sam Hartman, I don't quite know what the ceiling is. You know, is he a guy that's going to come in and and run around and make plays with his legs and, and be the next Caleb Williams? No, that's not what Notre Dame's getting. But that's not necessarily what they're looking for. They're looking for some – because that guy, that guy, there's no Caleb Williams in the portal this year. What they were looking for is someone who can come in and move, like run the offense, move the chains, make some big plays down the field with his arm, be a leader. And that's what they got. This is a guy from Sam, Part, uh, Sam Hartman. And look, 
do I think he's the biggest portal pickup in the offseason? I mean, there's better players that went to other schools. You know, there's definitely guys that are going to be drafted higher than went to other schools. But I think, and I've seen a lot of people say that he's the top or one or two guys in the portal this year. I think when you put positional value in there, then sure, we can have that conversation. If we're just talking about draft talent, I mean, that's a different conversation. He's not in that that standard because if he was that type of first round NFL draft pick, he'd be going pro right now. But he's a guy that can run this offense an extremely high level if he can figure it out. And we'll find out if he can become that guy. So I, I think that was a big pickup. That's going to be a big part of my grade. They also got Caleb Smith on offense. So Landon Caleb Smith from Virginia Tech, who was a steady player last year. Honestly, I didn't know a lot about him coming into the season. He's not a guy that played a lot of football. Well, I guess he, I shouldn't say that. He, he played a decent amount of football, but he's not a guy that, that put up great production in the past. You know, in 2021, he had 20 catches for 260 yards, two touchdowns. He had eight catches for 88 yards in 2020. He played 11 games in 2019, had nine catches for 121 yards. So he's played a lot of football. He just, he's never been the guy really until this year. This past season in 11 games, if you remember correctly, Virginia Tech obviously didn't make a bowl game, but their their season was cut short because of the tragic shooting that happened at University of Virginia, which caused Virginia to cancel their remainder of their season. And of course, one of their games was against Virginia Tech. So they only played 11 games this year. But he caught 37 passes for 674 yards, which is not blow you away numbers. But if you if you look at it, I mean, that's over a quarter of their total yards. Uh, Virginia Tech really struggled to throw the football this year. And they only passed for 2,000 and 236 yards this year, which is, you know, makes Caleb Smith's production 30% of their, of their yards this year. Uh, so he, he's a guy that, that obviously had, he had a big chunk to do with, with kind of with, with what they are this year. And, 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 you know, he's a guy that showed the ability to kind of make some big plays down. I'll give you an example of, of that, that number. I just, I just did this math. It's a, per, it's a, it's a, you know, kind of a, small percentage difference, but he actually had a greater percentage of Virginia Tech's receiving yards this past year than Michael Mayer had for Notre Dame's receiving yards this past year. So Michael Mayer was at 30.05%. That's where Michael Mayer was this year. So 30.05%. If you look at Caleb Smith, he was at 30.14% of their passing yards. So again, he was as big of a part of the passing offense at Virginia Tech from a number standpoint as Michael Mayer was at Notre Dame. And I think that tells you a little bit about how important he was. The volume was just tamped down because they didn't throw the ball a whole lot. You know, but he had some good moments this year. He was an he was an All ACC player uh, this past year. Honorable mention All ACC player uh, had went for nine catches for 152 yards on the road against Pittsburgh. Had three catches for 141 yards on the road against NC State. NC State had a pretty quality pass defense this season. Uh, so he had some good moments, five catches for 70 yards against West Virginia. I did in my midweek musings yesterday. If you didn't see it, check it out. Uh, I, I enjoyed writing it. I thought it was fun to do. But if you if you look at, um, there's a clip in there of his catch versus West Virginia. It was a long touchdown pass, like a 30-something yard touchdown pass. And it just was a great flip his hips, back shoulder catch, great concentration, did a really, really nice job uh, on that particular play. And so um, I think when I look at it, I see a situation where you're bringing in a kid that can do a few things for you. He's a guy that, to me, um, 
brings size. He's 6'2", 220. He brings a lot of experience. He's played a lot of football at Virginia Tech. You have a guy that's got a, a level of production. I believe he's over 1,000 yards for his career at Virginia Tech. And you have a guy that brings some versatility. Neil Ryan and I have talked about this in the past, but he's a guy that could play some of the boundary at W. It would not completely shock me if Deion Colsey doesn't really take a big step up this offseason. It wouldn't shock me if Caleb Smith is your starting boundary. It wouldn't shock me if he's playing some in the slot along with uh, Jaden Thomas. And it wouldn't shock me if he's playing some at X. And I think an ideal situation is that he is kind of coming off the bench to me. Just, you know, because what that means is that means the the more physically talented players have stepped up and, you know, have take, seized hold of jobs. But I, I would be I would expect him to kind of start spring in position to be a starter. And then you just kind of see how it goes. So, you know, I think it's one of those situations where landing him really helps solidify the position. He gives you protection and protection from what? What if Lorenzo Styles leaves or what if Lorenzo Styles doesn't take a jump? What if there's an injury? What if? You know, somebody doesn't pan out. Let's say Deion Colsey gets injured again, or he doesn't pan out, or Tobias doesn't pan out, or he gets injured, or the freshman class isn't ready to play. The reality is by landing him, you're now in a situation where Matt Salerno doesn't have to be anything better than your sixth receiver without even looking at the freshman class. You've got a situation where you've got you've got uh, Caleb Smith, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, Tobias Merriweather, of course, Jaden Thomas and now Salerno. So you have six receivers. So two things are, are are now facts because of Caleb Smith being in here. Number one, you don't have to play Matt Salerno. Number one, you don't have to start the same guys you did last year. They have to actually now beat Caleb Smith out. And if they do, that means they had a really good jump in production. They just would have had to beat out an all-conference performer from the ACC, which is like a third of their schedules against the ACC. And so I think that gives them protection. I think the other thing, too, is it helps protect against injury. And it now means that the freshman class does not have to play in 2023. It means now that if the freshman class is going to play and I want them to play, it means they're going to play because they've earned it. Now, if a guy earns it, then give him a chance to play. I don't. This isn't like a, a situation in the past. Well, you know, we, we don't want to play freshman. Let them grow and develop. I want them to play. I think there's going to be at least one guy good enough to play right now. The point, however, is, is I have always said that you don't want a freshman to have to play. You want him to play because he's good enough and ready to do it. And I think that's where I'm at, and that's what Caleb Smith gives you. Now, if you have some injuries, then now your freshmen have to play. But if you don't have injuries, then I think you're in a situation where the only way freshmen on the field is that they earn it. And if they earn it, that means your receiving core is going to be really good. And so I think it's it's a it's a good pickup. It's not a sexy pickup. You know, a lot of people wanted C.J. Williams because he was a big name. He's a, in a former big-time recruit. He's a guy that I viewed as a top 100 player. But if we're talking for 2023, in my opinion, it's not even close. Caleb Smith is a much more impactful pickup for 2023 than C.J. Williams would have been. Is he as big of a pickup as Dorian Singer? The USC got? Probably not. But Notre Dame didn't have the kind of loss that USC had with Jordan Addison going pro and some of the other losses that they've had on offense. So I think this is a really solid pickup. It's, it's again, not a sexy pickup, but it, I, I mean, to me, I think he could bring even more to your offense than what Ben Skoranek brought a couple years ago. And that ended up being a solid pickup as well. They also got Javante Jean Baptiste. This was an interesting pickup because Notre Dame was kind of going back and forth on him and Byron Vaughn's. 
down the stretch, and they were only going to bring in one. And they decided on Javante John Baptiste because at the end of the day, they felt the need was bigger at the big end position. Now, I've had a lot of people say, well, is he big enough to play big end? And, and the answer is, yeah, I mean, he's big enough. The question is, will he be powerful enough? Because we we talk about um, we, we talk a lot about people talk a lot about like you know hey you've got to have you've got to have this level of size you've got to have this level of you know length or whatever the case may be and the reality is is you just need to be able to do the job and that's the important thing and so yes you've had a big two hundred ninety pounder this year in in uh, in, in uh, Riley Mills but in the past I mean honestly the the best big end that Notre Dame had in the last three years was Adi Tagumba Ogandiji in twenty twenty. And in that year, he was listed at 6'4", 255 pounds that season, I believe is what he was listed as. And so this past year, the the big end who came in in rotation with Riley Mills was was Nana Osafa Mensa, who was uh, listed at 6'3 and a half, 250 pounds. And so I, I, you're in a situation where it, I think you're in a, posi- you're in a position where he, he brings size very similar to what you've had in past years. Uh, Adi Tagumba Ogundiji was listed at 268 pounds in, uh, in, in 2020, but I can assure you he was not, he was not 268 pounds, you know, but I, I look at the situation and I, I see a guy that does a, his game fits that position. So a lot of people are going to focus on, you know, does he have the size, whatever the case may be, his game fits that position in my opinion, very much. And when I look at his game, I see a guy that's got an exceptional length which is what they like at the position. I see a guy that has good experience as, a, as a, uh, an edge setter. I think that's a part of his game. He's going to need a lot more work. He hasn't been, he hasn't done a ton of it. If you look at film at times, he's, he can be a little inconsistent, sort of taking, he tries to make a play instead of just, hey, dude, your job is this. He'll go inside and saying, instead of staying on, staying on the edge, which then allows a, a bounce or whatever the case may be, a couple times you'll see him do that because – He's trying to make a play. You need to get him to play within the system more, which that can tend to happen when you're a guy coming off the bench. You're, you're in there. You're trying to go make a play to get more playing time. You know, so consistency is going to be there. And he's a guy that, to me, is going to bring a pass rush jump over what they've had in the last two years at Big End. Riley Mills was a was just not used as a pass rusher the way that I think it best suits his skill set. They didn't really turn him loose a ton as a pass rusher when he's on the edge. He, a lot of times it looked like he was just kind of playing gap control or contain as an as an edge rusher. Uh, Myron Tungvalo, same thing. He wasn't much of a pass rusher on the edge. If you look at this past year and you look at Ohio State's main page, he had four sacks this year and didn't didn't play a, a ton of snaps. He finished third on their team in sacks, and he, and he the leaders had four and a half. So he, he was not that far off despite playing significantly fewer snaps this past season. And, and so, to me, when I look at this move, I see a guy that, that has a, a certain floor. He, at the very least, he's going to be part of a, of a good rotation because that's what he's already done. He's done this now for three years. He was, he was part of this rotation at Ohio State for definitely the last two years, and he, he played some in, in 2019 as well. So, you've got a guy that's got a lot of experience, guys play a lot of football, and a guy that brings a skill set that, that really adds to what you didn't have that position. And, and I think that's kind of always something you want to look for when you're talking about, you know, whether it's high school kids or portal additions, you, you want to get guys that are, that are, that can give you something that you don't already have And a pass rush from the, from the big end position that last couple of years was just not something that this staff uh, really utilized or got much of from that big end position. And I think he brings you an opportunity to get a lot more from that. So 
You look at his Ohio State career, he had 928 career snaps at Ohio State, according to Pro Football Focus. So this is a guy that, that's played a lot of football. He's got over 10 tackles for loss in his career. And if you think about it, that's basically two seasons worth of production right there, or of snaps right there, two full seasons of snaps right there. So he's got to show that he can be a volume guy. That's going to be an important part of this. He's got to show that he can he can play at a at a high level of of snaps. That's going to be beyond what he's played in the past. That's going to be a question mark. But he's an older player, veteran player. I expect he'll do it. But here's why. Here's why I think I'm giving I'm giving a, some bonus points for this pickup, and partly why I went into the B plus or the A minus area, because what I think this does is this impacts several things. So it's not just about landing Javante John Baptiste. It's also about, okay, does that move have any kind of impact? Well, now we expect Riley Mills to move inside. So far in his career, I think Riley Mills has, has been more productive in, in certain t- a lot of different times as, an, as a big end. But I think later in the year when they moved him inside, you started to see him flash more. I think he's older. I think he's stronger. I think he kind of understands a little bit better how to win on the inside. And I thought he played pretty well in the bowl game in there. And so to me, now that you have have Javante Jean-Baptiste along with Nana, along with Alexander Ahrensberger, you now feel comfortable about your big end depth chart. So you can now move Riley Mills inside. Because if you can't move Riley Mills inside, we're having major question marks about the interior of the defensive line. So even though they didn't pick up an interior defensive lineman, I think what has happened now is be with – Javante Jean-Baptiste coming in, you're almost kind of getting a, a, a new defensive tackle because now you can make Riley Mills a full-time interior guy, which I think addresses that need. And I'll get to a little bit more here later on that, but I think that's why I give a little bit of, of bonus points to this pickup, if, which I would not have given if you'd got a Viper. If you'd got you know Byron Vaughn's at Viper, we're not having the same conversation. It would have been, yeah, you got a good Viper. You've got a pretty good Viper depth chart. Um, you still have question marks at two other positions. I think this one has a, uh, that's why this one has a, has a big impact. It has a big impact on it. So that's a, that's another one. And here's one that's just not getting talked a lot about. And that's Thomas Harper. I got to admit, I'm a little surprised that more people aren't fired up about Thomas Harper. And, and I think part of it is just because y'all haven't seen him because honestly, that was my initial reaction. And, and I think Ryan, if I remember correctly, I think Ryan had a similar reaction when we first heard his name, like Thomas Harper, like, oh, okay, I'm not sure who who that is. And I mean, I'd watched a lot of film of Oklahoma State the two previous years. I'd seen him play, but but didn't really notice him a lot. And so it, it was like, oh, okay, whatever, depth guy. And then you pop in the film from this past season, and you're like, okay, this guy's a nickel. This guy's a pure nickel, because I'm thinking like 5'11", 180-pound safety, like, oh, okay. Um, not that that's too small to play safety, but it just doesn't like knock your socks off. But when you pop in the film, you see a kid that can really play. You see a kid that's got length for his size. I mean, he's got really good length, in my opinion. He's played over a thousand snaps of football in his career. Uh, he did that at, at Oklahoma State. And he really had a breakout season in 2022. And the thing that really, sh- the, the thing that got me when I was looking at, at breaking down his film was, he covers like a corner in, in, from the slot. Now, he's not a guy that I would put on an island outside like Tariq Bracey, but as a pure slot, he covers very well. And if you want some comparisons on how effective he was this year in coverage, he, he, check this out. 
right? So I, I thought Tariq Bracey was very good this year. I think most people in the audience, I think, would think that Tariq Bracey had a really good year this year. Tariq Bracey this past season allowed, this is according to Pro Football Focus, allowed 10.6 yards per catch and 7.2 yards per target. So when hit, when the guy he was covering was targeted, 10.6 yards per catch, 7.2 yards per attempt this season. And Thomas Harper this past season allowed 9.7 yards per attempt, which is about a full yard lower. And he allowed only 5.8 yards per, per attempt. So 9.7 yards per catch, almost a full yard lower. And then 5.8 yards per attempt was, was oh, about a, almost actually a little, little 0.1 under a yard and a half over Tariq Bracey this past season. So you're talking about a guy that was was very effective in that role. You know, and you talk about a guy too that gave up a, a 59.4% completion percentage. And then you watch the film and you see a lot of that was just stuff that was kind of caught in front of him. But he was a very sound tackler this season. Uh, Tariq Bracey, for example, this past year uh, allowed a completion percentage of 67.9%, which puts that 59% in a little bit greater context of how, again, of how good he was about creating disruptions. But then you look at his other stats and he doesn't have a lot of pass breakups. And, and you're like, well, okay, these things don't really fit. So these are the this is the process that I went to evaluate him. So I, I looked at the stats. I looked at the data. Where did he play? How much did he play? What, what was the numbers he gave up? And then you pop in the film and you're like, okay, I see why his numbers were what they were because he wasn't breaking up a lot of passes, but his coverage was really sticky this year, which forced a lot of incompletions. And so you really like what he did. But then, and I did a, a film breakdown on our breakdown about this on the website, what you'd see is they would use him in a lot of different ways, which I think is really what I like about this pickup. So number one, he's a safety by trade. So if he's not if you're if you're not playing your nickel, you can use him at safety. So it, it gives you some safety depth there. But if you're playing nickel a lot, he's in the nickel. But what they do is they do a lot of they did a lot of things with him at Oklahoma State where he would play in the slot, but then he would play in the slot to the field. He'd play to the slot to the boundary. Well, when he's playing to the slot to the boundary against a three by one away from him, so three receivers to the side away from him, so to the field, there's only one to his side. He'd almost play off like he's a boundary safety. There were times he did play safety. There were times where they would bump a linebacker out. He would drop back and he'd play cover two off the hash. He'd play cover four off the hash or on the hash. And then there were times where he dropped the center field. Now, he didn't do the center field thing a ton, but he did it and he looked comfortable doing it. So what you have now with him is a guy that can kind of do a lot of different things. But more importantly, you can do a lot of different things with him that you couldn't do when Tariq Bracey was in the game last year because Tariq was very good at what he did, but Tariq was just a corner. That, that's what he was. When he was in the game in the nickel, he was just going to play slot corner. This is a kid that you can roll things down. You can roll if they motion away from you. You don't have to have him chasing. You can just roll Xavier Watts down or Ramon Henderson down, roll him back, move another guy over. So I think it gives you a lot more versatility. Of, of how you can use him in a lot of different ways. And so that's something that I really liked about this pickup. And, and I, and I got to tell you, the film was much better than I expected, much better than I expected. He's not going to come in here and be like a, a Denzel Ward, right? It's not what he's going to be. I'm not saying that, but it's a really good film. And he, he was in a league that had has a lot of speed at receiver and he held his own. And if you go watch the TCU game, 
that game where TCU had the major comeback, if you look, he got hurt in that game in the third quarter. Go look at TCU's pass game production in the fourth quarter and overtime when this kid went out. And a lot of it was they started attacking over the middle of the field and they started and the moves that they had to make to overcome his loss, TCU exploited and went after him. And, and they were not quite the same defense after he went out because he was not that he was an elite player, but he was so important in what they did. So I thought that was a really good pickup. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. They got Spencer Schrader, the kicker from South Florida. Kid's got a lot of experience. He's made uh, the last two years. I've got the numbers right here. He has made 77.4% of his field goals the last three seasons, and he's been 80% the last two. He was 20 of 25 the last two seasons in, in field goal attempts. So, you know, he brings a steady leg. He's played in some big environments, uh, had some success this past year. I mean, kicked in, in Florida this past year, uh, at the University of Florida, I should say. They played in the swamp this past year, and, and he – kicked well in that game uh so he's a guy that that again has has experience i'm just trying to find um that his numbers in that game so uh, but he's also a guy that's handled kickoffs now right now you have zach yokum coming back and i thought zach yokum did a pretty good job this year as your kickoff guy but but this is a job that spencer schrader could also do if let's say zach doesn't do a good job or gets hurt or something like that you now have another guy that can handle that job pretty effectively he was much better this year at putting the ball in the end zone than he had in past years now that's just statistically that could be a change in philosophy where they didn't ask him to do that in the past. Uh, but certainly uh, that that helps them this year. Just for context purposes, as I said, he's been 80% the last two years. Notre Dame's kickers have been around 74%, uh, 74 to 75% the last two years. So, uh, And in 2020, John the Door was at 65%. Notre Dame has not had, not had an 80% kicker since Door in 2019. And then, of course, Justin Yoon before that was uh, around 80% uh, his last two years. So 80% over the course of two years is, is pretty good. It's a, it's a pretty good deal. And so uh, he gives you he gives you a lot of that, and I, and I think you feel comfortable with where he's at. Now, of course, here's the deal. Blake Rupi was at 80% the year before as well. And the reality is, is that this is a completely different stage than what he was kicking at at South Florida with the exception of, of one game. So there's going to be that. He's going to have to prove that he can kick at that level and kick in those moments. But I thought he was a pretty good – he was pretty good last year. Uh, and he, he has kicked in some some big environments. As I said, he, he's kicked against Florida the last two years. He's gone uh, four or five in those games. I think the kick he had this year that he missed, I believe, was blocked. Uh, I could be wrong. Was I think that was a kick at the end of the game, um, at the end of the game that they had where South Florida was lining up to, to kick the game winner. I believe it got blocked, if I remember correctly. Uh, 
So he brings a solid job. And then punter-wise, they went in the portal and got Ben Krim. Now, a little bit about Ben Krim is he's got a family legacy from Notre Dame. He's a kid actually from the Columbus area. He's from Ohio. And he's had multiple members of his family that played at Notre Dame, and including, an, an, I think, an uncle who was a third-round draft pick back in the day. So there's some family legacy there, and he's a kid that was a first-team all-Ivy League punter this past year. Obviously, it worked out well last year when they went to the Ivy League and got the the 2021 – well, actually, yeah, 2021 first-team all-Ivy League punter was John Sott. Notre Dame brought him in, and he did a great job for Notre Dame this year. I thought John Sott was a very underrated, important part of the special team success this past year. And then, of course, Ben Krim comes in. He actually had a higher – I believe he had a higher yards per punt average – as a, as a senior at Penn, actually, yeah, as a senior at Penn this year, then John Sott had in his last year at at at, at Harvard. I think John Sott was under forty as a as a senior, but John Sott's career average was a little bit better. Uh, their their uh, numbers inside the twenty, I believe, is very similar. But again, he was a first team all all American punter uh, or for all Ivy League punter this past year. And he, in if I am correct, and I, I believe I am on this. Because they didn't play in 2020, I believe he has two years of eligibility left, whereas John Sott had one because he only played three years at 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 uh, at Penn. Uh, as far as the, uh, one, he played four, but one of those four years was the COVID year. So I believe I believe he has two years left, but don't hold me to that because I, I I'm I'm, I'm going to pull it up now. But I believe his first year at 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 Penn in 2019, he only played one game. I'm pretty sure that's. Accurate. Let me just pull these stats up again to remind myself. Yeah, he only played one game in in 2019, so that would have been a redshirt season. Then he didn't play in 2020 because the Ivy League canceled the season because of COVID, and then he's played the last two years. So yes, he does have two years of eligibility left. I believe Spencer Schrader only has one. Ryan, that's correct, right? There's only he only has one year left. All right, yeah, because I told you Ryan's down there producing for me. So they'll have to find another kicker the year after. But punter, punter between him and, and Bryce McPherson, they should have punter pretty much locked down the next couple of years uh, and be in a good position. So that's their portal additions. I think here's where the A-minus comes from, right? I think getting, in my opinion, the best fit at quarterback and one of the best overall quarterbacks on the market was big. I think they got a defensive end to me that bring that has some upside, but the floor is good. You've seen him play in a rotation for a playoff team last year. He was a very key part of a D-line rotation for a team that just made the college football playoff. And so you, you've seen him play in some big moments. He was third on the team in sacks. You see Thomas Harper getting him in was a big pickup because you now kind of hit on two positions a little bit. I think primarily, though, I look at him more as, as, as just a, as a nickel. He could help at safety, but he can't help at safety if you're playing nickel the whole game. So you have to be careful trying to do the whole he hit two positions in one because he can't play two positions at once. He can only play one position. And so in the base defense, he can play safety. It's one position. You don't have a nickel. But when they're in their nickel defense, which is where I think his game is best suited, he can only play one position, but he does give you some flexibility on how you can play within that look. And so I think that helped. I think getting Baptiste and being able to move Riley Mills factored in said some brownie points and I and I really like the pickup of Caleb Smith it's not a it's not a game changer it's not picking up Jordan Addison it's not picking up that kind of guy I'm not saying he's going to be that but he brings you a lot of what Ben Skoranek brought to the table except he can be more of a vertical threat than Ben Skoranek was experience he was a captain of Virginia Tech he's played a lot of football he's never been a big big time volume producer but he's he's definitely been a, a guy that can make big plays down the field uh, he uses his size very well 
to make plays down the field. So I really like what this kid brings to the table, and he gives you a lot of insurance there. So I like what they've done. I gave him an A minus. Here's, however, what kept it from being an A. They needed, to me, I still feel like they needed another interior defensive lineman. I do. Moving Riley Mills helps. It's just, and that's what John A1 said, does not landing Fisk impact the grade? It does. Because I think they needed another interior player. Because there are situations where if you'd have got Fisk, maybe him and Riley Mills could have played together inside. There's some three-down looks where you could have had him and Riley Mills on opposite sides. And now you got 290-plus-pound big ends that you can do in your three-down looks that would have given you pass rush production, given you playmaker production, and, and a guy that's more proven. Now, proven in the MAC, right? We would have needed to see him translate that to this level of football. But you see the film and you're like, this kid can play. I mean, one of the best games he had last year at Western Michigan was against Michigan State in a game where he's having to play defensive end. And, and he starts the game, all the like the first third down of the game just comes through on the edge and reads a jet sweep and blows it up for a tackle for loss. So to me, that hurt. Not getting him this year, uh, not getting him hurt, especially since there was really no excuse not to get him. You're talking about a guy that was from Michigan City, which is in Indiana. It's like less than an hour away, I believe. I've picked my wife up from the train station there or the bus station there when she's come in from Chicago after flying in town. And so, um, you know, to me, I, I look at it from Western Michigan. He picked Florida State over you. And the initial thought was that it was NIL related. But Ryan did some digging on this. And then I did some digging on this. Ryan did digging on the NIL side. I did digging on just sort of the, what made the decision side. And the NIL offer he got from Florida State wasn't that big. I mean, it really wasn't. Their name could have could have could have been in that ballpark. What I was told, what it ultimately came down to is not really was not really NIL. It was the vision that was laid out for him by the D-line coach and the defensive coordinator was a lot more convincing to him, and he felt a lot more wanted by the defensive coaches. Now, Chad Bowden was all over this kid. At the end of the day, this is a fifth-year senior going to be a six-year senior. He's not going to be swayed by a, a recruiting coordinator the way a high school kid is. He's looking at, I got one shot at this. This staff presented a great plan for how they're going to use me. And they just showed that they can take a, a, a grad transfer D lineman and turn him into an impact player. Notre Dame's presentation was not as uh, moving and impactful. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's it's an issue right now for Notre Dame. And and we've talked a lot about Al Golden. And right, we were starting to talk more and more about, or Al Washington, but we're starting, starting to talk more and more about Al Golden. And, and, you know, look, the D line coach and the D coordinator have both got to pick up the recruiting in a big way. And that's, in my opinion, a big reason they lost Braden Fisk, and they shouldn't have. I also think that that another safety is needed, in my opinion, unless, unless. Now, here, here's the thing. I have not looked at, say, I have not negatively graded this haul because of the not, not getting a safety yet. Here's why. I wrote an article, I believe, earlier this week where I talked about how Clarence Lewis could really be a key to solidifying the secondary. And what I mean by that is if some of the younger corners step up, if Jaden Mickey has a good offseason, if a guy to keep an eye on is Chance Tucker, if Chance Tucker can have a good offseason along with Jaden Mickey, all of a sudden you've got Benjamin Morrison, you've got Cam Hart, you've got Jaden Mickey, 
you've got Chance Tucker, and then hopefully Ryan Barnes steps up, right? If those guys step up and now you have Thomas Harper in the nickel, here's another reason Thomas Harper helps you that I didn't mention earlier and I should have. By put, having Thomas Harper in the slot, you don't need Clarence, Ter- Clarence Lewis there because if they don't land Thomas Harper, the starting nickel for Notre Dame next year is Clarence Lewis. And he did okay there this year. And he would have been better as a nickel than as a outside corner in this defense. But I still believe, and, and Ryan and I have talked about this. I know he agrees with me on this. I absolutely believe that Clarence Lewis can be a starting safety at Notre Dame and be a good one. I think, and and, and the reason I asked Ryan this question, because he follows the draft more than me, but just watching college football players and knowing that guy was a pro, that guy was a pro. I look at Clarence Lewis and I say, that guy can play in the National Football League as a safety. Maybe not as a starter, but that guy can, can – he is a draftable player, in my opinion, as a safety. Because when he can keep things in front of him, he's really good. He can run relatively well at that position. His speed becomes more of a plus factor for you than it does as a corner. But really, it's not so much speed that's his problem. We've seen him make some plays – running across the field where he can really run. He had a he had a great interception against Navy this year where he showed a lot of speed. He came from backside and came all the way over and picked that pass off. His problem is he's just not great at flipping his hips. And he doesn't have the kind of speed that the the time he loses flipping his hips because he doesn't have super fluid hips. So he's a little slow, a little stiff when he when he flips his hips as a corner. And he doesn't have the kind of speed to overcome that or the length to overcome that. Well, as a safety, he's not doing that in the same way. And so I really believe that depending on how this offseason goes, you may not need a safety. You could end up with Ryan Barnes and Clarence Lewis moving to safety or just one of them. And if it's Clarence Lewis that moves to safety, and I'm praying that that's what happens this this spring because it means that they're moving him there, which helps, but it also means somebody else stepped up a corner to solidify the depth of corner because you'd have uh, you've had Hart and Morrison. Mickey, Tucker, potentially Barnes, plus Christian Gray and Micah Bell. I feel a lot better about cornerback depth chart than I do safety depth chart, which gives you the freedom now to move Clarence Lewis. I think Clarence Lewis could really solidify the depth chart at safety. If they don't move him and they only move Ryan Barnes, that can end up working out. Y'all know I'm very high on Ryan Barnes as a player, but he just he's now going into year three and he hasn't done anything yet. So uh, there'd be some projection there. There'd be some kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that he's as good as I think he is. Whereas with, with Clarence Lewis, you know what Clarence that Clarence Lewis can play. He's got the experience. He's got the playing time. He's a guy that could fit into that role very well. So that's kind of an incomplete, kind of an asterisk for me right now, that safety position. There's also the chance that they could go into the portal after the spring and go there if things don't pan out with the current group. So uh, I'm very curious to see kind of what Nareem does with the portal after spring ball. I think that guard is going to be a position that I'm going to keep my eye on this spring. I'm actually working on an article on it now, about halfway through with it. I'll probably publish it about an hour uh, to an hour and a half after this podcast is over, where you talk about like what happens this spring at guard, Andrew Kristoffic stepping up, you know, can he step up and, and seize hold of a job? Do some of the younger players have good springs? Do they should like this Billy Shrouth say, hey, I'm ready for this starting job. I'm, I'm ready to do this thing. Or is he going to need a year? Can Ty Chan be that guy? Or will he need to still need another year? Depending on how guard shakes out in the spring, you could see the staff start to scour the portal for guards in the offseason. Now, there have been some good players jump in the portal 
that Notre Dame has looked at. Ryan and I have looked at some of these guys on film that have chosen some other schools or are still out there. But the thing that Notre Dame's view is like right now, we like our talent here on the inside. We want to give these guys a chance to go battle unless it's just a guy that's clearly the better than all these other guys. And that guy's not out there right now. Now, if, if the younger players don't step up or if Andrew Kristoffic doesn't step up this spring, then you could see Notre Dame maybe look to the portal in May when it opens back up. But right now, that's not necessarily a need. And I think when you look at the safety position, I don't think it's necessarily a need just yet. I want to see how things shake out this spring. I believe all your safeties, well, two of your three safety freshman safeties will be on campus. Don Schuler and Ben Minnitz are both on campus. You get D.J. Brown back, of course, plus obviously Xavier Watson, Ramon Henderson. How do those two guys improve this offseason? That's a big question mark. And then does the cornerback play allow them to move a Clarence Lewis to safety? If that happens, and 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 just so you know, I've, I've looked into this. I've talked to some sources about this. It's not out. This is not a, a possibility. The staff has completely ignored. This isn't just me saying this and and saying I hope it happens, and then having no clue if Notre Dame will consider that. Uh, I do want this to happen. I do hope that it happens. But I've also reached out to sources, and and depending on how things shake out, it could potentially happen. But it's not. It's not going to happen just yet. Somebody's got to prove him. Uh, they got to prove that that he's that that's the case. So I think for me, when I when I look at this, I think cornerbacks the one position right now that their safety is the, the one where I'm not negatively affecting the grade. The A minus at the end of the day comes down to not getting that interior player. The miss on Braden Fisk is what drags the grade down, and that would also be my argument if you were to say, well, the grade should be a B plus. I would I would say I'm comfortable with the A minus, but if you were to tell me it's a B plus. I wouldn't argue with you uh, because of that miss. I think it was a big miss. If you were going to say it's a B, I'd probably debate with you a little bit because I think the impact of the quarterback position, the nickel position, and then being able to move Riley Mills inside impacts that position enough that I can't go with a B. Again, I think A- minus is where I'm going. I think they moved – I think the roster is better – is, is I would say, much better with these guys on the roster than without them. And that's kind of what you're looking for. So there, there's aren't just ex- more experienced versions of what you already have. These are guys can help you win football games. And with John Baptiste as well, you don't have to slide Nana in a starting job. Nana is a niche role player, and you can leave him there, which helps his game. If he doesn't come, and you have to move Riley Mills inside, that means you got to start Nana. And and I don't think he's as effective as a, as an every down guy. I think Nana is a really quality player for Notre Dame as a niche role guy off the bench that doesn't have the same volume of snaps. And so that's where I'm at. So that's where my A- minus comes from when I look at the portal. I think that how this spring goes, injuries, guys not step, step, stepping up, some guys do step up, is going to tell us a lot about whether or not Notre Dame goes back to the portal next year in May. And and we've seen them, we've seen them do this. If I remember correctly, so obviously they got Brandon Joseph last January. He was an early guy. But if I remember correctly, they didn't get Nick McLeod till after spring ball. He was a guy that went into the spring. He went into the portal after spring, and they were able to get him. So we've seen Notre Dame go into the portal after the spring and get some guys that have been very helpful uh, to to what they're trying to do. So I think that was something um, that when I when I look at it, I think that was something that that you'll see them. Uh, you'll see them do. So I'm just trying to remember something like this. I don't think Ben Skoranek, I thought he was an earlier guy. 
I, I could I'd have to go back on on that one and, and try to um, remember when Ben Skoranek transferred to Notre Dame. I'm actually looking it up here in my admin right now, but I, I thought he was a um, a guy that was there for the spring, but I I could be I could be wrong about that. So let's give me a second. I'm gonna find this here real fast. All right. All right, so let's go here. So Ben Skoranek, I guess we don't have – this is the old system. So he – yep. I Actually, no, he may have been a post-spring guy as well. Now that I'm looking at this, I think Ben Skoranek was a post-spring guy as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's – um, yeah, so again, we, we have seen this. We have seen this happen – before we have seen this uh, where it's paid off or not able to be able to go get guys after spring ball and be effective. So they'll definitely keep their eyes open on this, on the, uh, the portal after this, after the spring ball is over. Notre Dame's blue gold game is April 22nd. The portal opens back up in May. So we will see how kind of that plays out. So that's going to do it for this portion of the show. We're going to be bringing up some questions here in the mailbag first, but before we do, folks hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. We'd greatly appreciate that. If you're listening via podcast platform, give us a five-star review. We'd also appreciate that very much. And sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. If you check out our, our YouTube channel, if you see, actually if you just look at the uh, description bar below, you will see a link to our newsletter on there, our daily newsletter. We have ramped that back up. Thank you. My wife knows my throat's about to die, so she brought me down some tea. Um, if you... Uh, Sign up for that. We've kind of relaunched that. We're sending that out on almost a daily basis now where we send our kind of our top content from the day before. So you'll definitely want to check that out as well. And you can find that in the description bar below if you're listening on the YouTube channel. Also, folks, please sign up for the CFP Nation podcast. You can get all the Lucky Lefty shows there. You can get our CFP All-America show, our state of recruiting. We're going to have uh, – Ryan's going to launch. It was going to be this week, but we're going to have to postpone that because of his his current health situation, which he's fine. He just he'll, – he'll be okay. But uh, we're going to have to relaunch that next Thursday. Uh, we haven't set up a time yet, but it's going to be sometime in the evening. Whether it's going to be in that 6 o'clock slot that's currently open or maybe an 8 o'clock slot, we'll let you know. We've got to work some of those things out. Ryan's going to start an NFL draft, a weekly NFL draft show on CFB Nation, which we're very excited about. First couple of weeks will probably be recorded, but we're going to go live with this relatively soon where we'll be doing those, lit- those nightly live shows. And we've got a couple other things coming down the pike here when it comes to our podcast as well. So you're definitely going to make sure that you sign up for our CFB Nation podcast and also always, as always, stay locked in to irishbreakdown.com.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.